Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, Old Crossing Church, so glad to be able to be with you today. I would uh, love for it to be under different circumstances than it is because in Adams County, uh, we've had to close down uh, the three locations we have in Adams County because of this uptick in viruses, uh, virus incidents that we've had. And so here I am back in an uh, empty auditorium uh, preaching to a lot of empty seats, but I know that I'm going to be getting into a lot of human hearts today. I know that there's a lot of our locations that are open and you are all fellowshipping and uh, spending time together. I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And uh, while that's happening where uh, many of you are, uh, we're back at home and watching online in Adams County. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you feel like you're taking uh, a few steps forward and then some steps backward. And I imagine that's the way it's going to be for a while. But in spite of all of this, the word of God is uh, undeterred and it's still going out. And I'm so thankful that you're tuning in and that together we can have our hearts open and uh, we can not only uh, take in the word of God, but we can allow it to change us and uh, to mold us into Uh, people that we never dreamed we could ever be because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He can literally transform us. And uh, I'm excited for that. But I have to tell you, uh, this last uh, week or so has just been really hard because when you feel like you're making all this progress and then all of a sudden you have to go backward, it's just not easy. I have one of the, I'm one of those pet peeve guys that when I go on vacation somewhere, like the worst possible thing that could ever happen is that I would have to actually stop, turn around, go back and get something. And uh, that's one of the places where I have to really work on my anger. But I don't remember it ever being more difficult for me than when our, our first child was born, when, when Ben was born. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Allison and I brought him home uh, from the hospital and uh, what happened was uh, we were watching him and uh, he went from a pink little baby to uh, kind of a, a, an orange colored baby. And we called up uh, the, the, our doctors and they said, you need to bring him back in. And I can't tell you how difficult it was to be able to take our little baby home and then to have to take him back into the hospital uh, with some sort of a condition that we didn't know about. Turns out that Allison and I had uh, two different kinds of uh, blood types. And what that had created is a, a pretty common problem in infants, which is called bilirubinemia. And it's where your liver is not uh, developed enough to uh, take all the impurities out of the blood. And it kind of shows up as a, a jaundice, kind of a, a yellowish orange uh, on, on their skin. And, uh, it was so, so difficult because I remember how helpless we felt, both of us, like we had failed, like we had done something wrong. And, and then to watch as they would uh, take care of our little child. And I mean, it was, some of it was just really hard to see, like when they would take blood and, and uh, they would take this like a little razor blade and, and they would cut his heel 
and he would just scream and cry and then they would be squeezing to get blood out. And they did that over and over. And it got to the place where Allison said, Jerry, you just can't even, you can't even be in here because I would get so angry because that was my little boy. Uh, and they would strip him naked and they would put him in this special little bassinet that was plastic with these ultraviolet lights over, these billy lights they were called to try to, to burn out those impurities. And, uh, and he was there for a few days and it was just so hard for us. And you know what? We had to deal with that for three of our four kids. Uh, and I, I just recall that I'll, that'll always be uh, like an indelible impression on me that um, we felt so helpless and what that helpless feeling is like. Uh, and it never got easier for the other kids. And in many ways, I felt the same way, that similar kind of helplessness in the midst of this virus. And I'm sure that many of you have felt the same way. It's like you're powerless, like you're helpless. Like, what? I, I don't understand why, uh, what can I do? How can I change this? Maybe you've had some uh, loved one that has been actually sick with it. Maybe you have an elderly family that you can't get close to uh, right now. Maybe you have family that is immunocompromised, and so you're a lot uh, more frightened that it could uh, could really uh, hurt someone or even take their life. Maybe you've got someone with pre-existing conditions. But you know what? It's even, it seems to me it's even more palatable when it's a baby, because babies are just so helpless. Like, babies just can't do anything, right? I mean, think about it for a second. What responsibilities do babies have uh, when they come into your family? What is your expectation of them? You know, the answer is there's none. There's zero expectation, right? All the expectations, all the responsibilities are placed on you. They're placed on the parent. That baby will cry and you won't know why. You won't know, well, are you crying because you need your diaper changed or you're hungry or you're hurt or you're angry or you're tired. And over time, you're going to have to figure out what those different cries mean because that little child can't do anything, can't communicate, can't walk, can't talk, really can't do much of anything for themselves, right? And so they need constant care and constant attention. And if they don't get it, they'll just die. Now, I want you to apply that to the sermon series that we're in called The Cure. And more specifically, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to just kind of capture that idea of helplessness. And I want you to see it in the context of the Apostle Paul. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 17, verses 2 to 4, because that's where it records the birth of the Thessalonian church. Let's read it together. It says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, don't forget that, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Well, that just sounds so positive, doesn't it? I mean, he's only in this town for three weeks. He preaches on three Sabbath days, and 
all of a sudden there is a nucleus of a church that's formed. But after those three weeks, here's what happens. There's a riot in the city. Seems that a lot of devout Jews that don't believe in Jesus had come and they set uh, the town uh, on edge to the point that there was going to be a riot. And because of that, the Apostle Paul and Silas had to flee the city. So this church was just three weeks old. Think about it, just three weeks old, an infant. And then suddenly, without warning, it was on its own, or at least it would seem that way. I wonder how that made the Apostle Paul and Silas feel about this new church and about the people that they had met and uh, about their new faith in Jesus Christ. I bet you, like any parent, the Apostle Paul would have felt totally helpless. Like, I can't just leave them after only three sermons. I can't just leave them when there's so much more that they need to understand. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul refers to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says just this line, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Right there it is. The Apostle Paul views this church like he's a parent, like they're the infant, like it's the responsibility of taking care of this church is on him, and yet he's not able to do it. He's precluded from doing it because of this rioting in the city and them being driven out of the city. I mean, I connect with that, especially right now. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this series called The Cure, I connect with that because sometimes I feel like that about our locations, about people right now who are just exploring what it means to have this new life in Jesus Christ. And I feel the weight, I feel this responsibility of providing the very most that we can. And at the same time, just being above reproach when it comes to protecting everybody's health and well-being. The problem with that is that I can spend so much time looking at my part, like what my responsibility is, that I may fail to realize something that's very, very powerful that I want us all to learn from the book of 1 Thessalonians, that God has a part and that God will always do his part. He's a faithful God and he will always do his part. And his part is actually so much greater than my part. You know what? As I look back all those years ago to my kids and that uh, Billy Rubinemia, that jaundice, you know what God did? He did his part. Found out that we could bring our children home. We could set them in a window and just the sunshine coming in from the window would have an effect that God had already placed a cure in the sunshine for children that are dealing with bilirubinemia. Plus we got great medical care and all of our kids had loving parents to walk through that, that situation with them and see them to the other side. And you know what? Just like God took care of my kids all those years ago, he was going to take care of the Thessalonians because that's what God does. He takes care of us. I want you to look at a scripture that emphasizes this in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. 
The Apostle Paul says this, our gospel came to you not simply with words, not just words, not just a good sermon with good illustrations, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know, my initial thinking when I was reading through this was how in the world could a church survive when it only had three sermons preached to it and they didn't have any of the tools that were necessary in order to survive? Remember, this church had no leaders. Three weeks is not enough time to develop leaders. It had no New Testament that hadn't even been written yet. Had no way to contact Paul. Nobody had a cell phone. Nobody could put him on speakerphone. Nobody could get a Zoom call together. There was no way that they were going to be able to contact Paul. And yet, the answer was right in front of them. Because the answer is that God provided all that needed to be provided through the Holy Spirit. You know what? After reading the other letters of the Apostle Paul, I know that that there were spiritual gifts that were imparted before they left because the Holy Spirit was active and moving in the Thessalonian church before uh, Paul and Silas escaped. And I think just like then, God is providing for us right now exactly what we need to stay strong in the middle of this pandemic because his Holy Spirit is right here with us right now. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He writes about this, and, and he says that the Holy Spirit is actually manifesting himself in three distinct ways or characteristics to the Thessalonian people. And we read this in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. It says this, We remember before our God and Father your work, listen, work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds like a sermon uh, right there. Three points right there together. Something about uh, the work of faith. Something about a labor of love. And something about endurance inspired by hope. I want us to look at these three characteristics and I want the, to apply them to us right now. So almost immediately, uh, when I go into this, when I look into this, I'm confused. I'm a little confused because of the first two. Even though they make a good uh, outline, I don't know that, that they make much of a difference, right? When I first read them, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love. Well, work and labor, to me, that's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? You can talk about how you labor or how you work, but it, they're synonyms. They're really uh, not much difference. That's why I'm confused. So what is the difference? What's the difference between work and labor? I'm going to need to know that if, I know how to, if I'm going to know how to apply this to my life. Well, there's two different words in the Greek language that are used here. And the first word, the word for work, is actually a secular one. And the second one that's, that's translated labor is a spiritual one. Now that makes all the difference in the world. So when Paul is talking about their work and faith, their work that's produced by faith, he's actually talking about what they do for a living. He's talking about their secular jobs. 
And then all of a sudden, that opens up a whole different concept to me, all right? Because that's the way most all of us are, right? In all of our locations right now, we all have a job. We all have something that we do that is part of society, right? And so uh, what we do for a living becomes an opportunity for us to show faith. Your job is an environment. My job is an environment. And what was happening to the Thessalonians is that they were reflecting their faith in that job environment. And you know what? That's a challenge for you and that's a challenge for me today. Many of us uh, need to see our workplace as an environment, as an opportunity to shine for Jesus Christ, to show what faith in Jesus Christ really looks like. Now, as you read through this letter, and I hope you're doing your, uh, your regular reading through the cure, through the New Testament, what you've been told in 1 Thessalonians is that that church, the individuals in that church were experiencing severe suffering. They are only three weeks old when Paul leaves. They're experiencing suffering, and yet they're standing strong. And if they can stand strong, we can stand strong, even in the middle of a pandemic, right? Not just because we have all the bells and whistles and tools we need, but because the Holy Spirit is here with us. And we need to shine the light of faith in our everyday lives, in our everyday relationships, and in our workplaces. The second thing that the Apostle Paul refers to in these characteristics is their labor prompted by love. Now the word, this word that's translated labor in your Bible is actually describing sweating, like sweat equity. And this was the sweat equity that they were putting into their spiritual lives. Now think about that. The apostle Paul is using a word talking about how you're working so hard on your spiritual growth, on your spiritual strength. Even though you're three weeks old, you're not taking anything for granted. They're putting a lot of effort into their spiritual life. To spiritually survive, these baby Christians are going to have some really hard labor in front of them. But the love that they've experienced, and that's why they call it the labor of love, the love that they've experienced, you know, actually what it does is it accomplishes so much in their life, and then they're experiencing just how worthwhile it is, how worthwhile it is to, to, to strive for your faith, to be uh, a child of God and to live out what you've learned. I want to ask you, what kind of sweat equity right now are you putting into your walk of faith? Are, are we being motivated by this incomparable love that Jesus Christ has for each one of us? And is that translating into a love for the people that are around us because it's happening in us? You know, we've said that many times at the crossing that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us, right? And is there a labor of love going on inside of us so that we can not only shine Jesus Christ out in a secular world, but that that love that we're feeling from him is translating through us into others. The third characteristic that uh, 
the Apostle Paul refers to in this defining scripture is the endurance of hope. How are you doing right now in the area of hope? Let's just get real. How hopeful are you right now? You know what? I bet you're not doing very well. I'm not doing very well. The second I give, uh, allow myself to have a little hope, something just jerks the rug out from underneath me. I, I feel like no sooner do we make a little bit of headway with this virus that it comes back again with a vengeance. And there are so many reasons right now, isn't there? Just all the way across the panorama of our culture to just feel hopeless. And it feels like it's coming from all sides at once. So the Thessalonians had to feel this way too. Like right the very moment that they find out that uh, who Jesus is and what their life can be like with Jesus, then all of a sudden their teachers, their leaders are gone and they don't have anything that, that they really need to move forward. And I would imagine a time like that, it could be a difficult time to possess or hold on to any hope. One of the things that they'd been taught about was the return of Jesus. And so a lot of them latched on to that. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. And so some of them just kept taking that a step further. And they believed that Jesus was going to come back at any moment. So some Thessalonians decided not to even go to work anymore. Christians, like, uh, I think Jesus is coming back. There's no point in me going to work. There's really no point in me sharing my faith with anybody else because it's going to happen at any moment. I mean, they were literally packing their bags. And they were missing what the Apostle Paul had taught them. <coughs> so Paul needs to set the record straight. And he does that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He does it in uh, verses 13 uh, through verse 18. And I have to tell you that this scripture is one of the most hopeful scriptures in the entire New Testament. It's a scripture that I use for any believer uh, when we're at a graveside and uh, a family is mourning the loss of someone that they love, but that belongs to the Lord. And I want to share that scripture with you right now. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we are still alive and who are left under the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I need for you to really listen to me right now. I need for you to really key in on what I'm saying right now. This pandemic won't be here forever. 
The unrest will die down. The elections will come and go. Race relations will get better. The economy will bounce back. You'll be able to take care of your family. Your kids will eventually go back to school. Toilet paper will be in full supply. We'll get to eat out with our friends. We will shake hands and we will hug again. The church will return to normal. And a thousand other things that feel upended right now in your life. And somewhere down deep inside of you, you know that that's true. But that's not really where the hope is. I want you to see where the hope is. The hope is that Jesus has not forgotten you, that he loves you, and that he has a plan for you, that his love and care are greater than any pandemic because we are not forsaken. His love is greater than any political uh, situation or election cycle because we're not forsaken. His love is more powerful than any division or animosity brought on by racial differences because we of all colors are not forsaken. His provision is in greater supply than any government program and his watch care over your life and your ability to provide for your family is that no matter, no matter the difficulty or the challenge, you are not forsaken. His provision is there for you. Now, your marriage, your family, your children, because we are not forsaken. His provision surrounds you. Your Christian family surrounds you. His angels surround you. His spirit is in you. His resurrection power animates you. His forgiveness absolves you. His blood covers you. His wisdom enlightens you. His leadership precedes you. His lamp guides you. His strength and power defends you. And his presence will sustain you. And if this life is ever taken from you, he'll give you a new one. Because the dead in Christ are not forsaken. And if you close your eyes in death, you will immediately open them in eternal life because we are not forsaken. We have a responsibility to let this broken world know we are not forsaken. We are blessed beyond measure. You're blessed beyond measure because Jesus has given his children all they will ever need. And you are one of those children if you're in an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So look up, my brother. Look up, my sister. Look up, Jerry. Because your redemption is at hand. Now we're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. 
you can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.